How long? Forever. Forever what? More. Not a short time. But forever more. If we would just, and I know it's hard. I ain't going to take that grant. I ain't going to tell you that it's not. I'm not going to tell you that it's not to push through, that it's not hard to push through. It's not easy to push through. But I do know this, that if you push through, not only is he there when you get there, he's already there with you while you're pushing Hallelujah. You don't serve a God that will leave you or forsake you when you are going through it. Matter of fact, he says that he is near to the broken heart. That's what the Bible says. So if your heart is broken, he's close to you right now. And I know the holidays are tough for some. And myself included. You know, I think about who used to be at the table and think about the gatherings, maybe see, think about the gatherings when we used to have them with family and how much bigger, how many more people used to be there that are no longer here. And I sit back and I reflect on that. It's, it makes me sad, but then also it makes me happy because I remember some of the things that they would say that now are funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Some of the isms that they would say and some of the things that they would do and and, sometimes, and how hard it would even be to get together. And then once you got together, everything was okay. Amen. But I do know this. God is still God. And he is still sovereign. And he is still good. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's give God a hand clap of praise. Let's give him a hand clap of praise. And as we get ready to go into the word, I need you to lock in with me. This will not be your typical Christmas Eve word or teaching or sermon, if you will. But it will in mind with this season, it should cause us to remember something that's very important. So with that said, in the late 1970s, the Bee Gees, also known as the Brother Gibbs, wrote, recorded, and released the song How Deep Is Your Love? The lyrics go something like this. I know your eyes in the morning sun. I feel you touch me in the pouring rain. And the moment that you wander from me, I want to feel you in my arms again. And you come to me on a summer breeze. Keep me warm in your love then you softly leave. And it's me you need to show how deep is your love? The chorus goes, how deep is your love? How deep is your love? I mean to learn because we're living in a world of fools. Breaking us down when they all should let us be. We belong to you and me. 
The next verse says, I believe in you. You know the door to my very soul. You're the light in my deepest, darkest hour. You're my savior when I fall. And you may not think I care for you, when you know down inside that I really do. And it's me you need to show how deep is your love. How deep is your love? How deep is your love? I really mean to learn because we're living in a world of fools, breaking us down when they all should let us be. We belong to you and me. And even though they had the right to ask that question to whoever they were singing it to or whoever that was written for as far as in human form, one thing for certain, we should not have to guess how deep God's love is for us. Yes. You know? Because things are precious often because of their relationship. The most precious thing a mother has is her dear babe. We all love those who are near to us by the ties of nature. Precious, therefore, in the sight of the Lord are his saints because they are born in his household by regeneration made to be his sons and daughters. Think not that God our Father has less affection toward his children than we have towards ours. Oh no, no mother's heart ever yearned over her child, no father's bosom ever rejoiced over his offspring as the heart of God yearns over his erring children as his soul rejoices when they come back to him. The Holy Spirit wants me to remind you on this Christmas Eve that God, your heavenly Father, loves you deep. God, your heavenly Father, loves you. Sometimes we need to be reminded and we need to remember that God loves us deep. Well, how deep? Going to my favorite scripture. Let's go to John. Now, as I pointed out before, when it comes to John's gospel, that John was the beloved disciple of Jesus, with whom he had a close relationship. And John is also known as the apostle of love. John wanted and still wants the readers of his gospel to know Jesus and become intimate with him as well. The reason is to not only be looking towards heaven tomorrow and miss what heaven has to offer today. We will miss the joy of heaven on earth if we look too far ahead for the joy in eternity. Yes, eternity has its joy, but being in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ today, you can have joy on earth. Amen. 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 John's gospel presents Jesus as the only begotten son who became flesh. Matter of fact, John 1.14 in New King James says this, And the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Which means the divine son of God, he became a man. He was the God man. Not half man or half God. He became the God-man. He is the one person with a fully divine nature and a fully human nature. His deity was poured into humanity. He was fully human, so as an infant, he cried. 
But he was fully divine and he gave life to his mother. He was fully human so he had to sleep. But he was fully divine and he could raise the dead back to life. He fully experienced what it was to be human yet without sinning. He faced hunger, pain, temptation, grief, hardship, and rejection just like you and I. And there is nothing that you have or I will face that our Savior has not endured. Amen. He was the God-man. So how do you know that your Father, your Heavenly Father, loves you deep? I'm glad you asked. John 3.16 says this. It says, for God so what? Loved the world that he gave his only what? God. That who? Whosoever, I wrote in my Bible, me, believeth in him and, and should not what? Perish. But have what? Verse 17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be what? Might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of who? God. Now, as believers, we base our knowledge of God primarily upon the Word and upon the revelation of God through his Son, Jesus Christ as well as confirm, from confirming evidence from the universe, right? Track with me. Amen. Any attempt to study God and divine truth will of necessity, if it is to be grasped and retained, take some form of system. In other words, when it comes to God, you need to understand that he is not some willy-nilly, out-of-order God. <laughs> right? right? He is an intentional intentional God yes. that does what he does according to his will intentionally. Yes. So if you proclaim yourself to be a believer, then it's absolutely important that you study God. If you proclaim yourself to be a believer, you need to get to know God, your heavenly Father. Right? Amen. Why? Because he is your highest good. Mm -hmm. And he is the source of life and sustenance. In other words, as you seek him, he will feed you. Yeah. That's why it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek ye what? First, the what? Kingdom of God. And all his what? Righteousness. And then everything else will be added. First, seek ye first what? The kingdom of who? God. And this is the part we always miss sometimes. And he is what? Righteousness. And then everything else will be added as you seek him, his kingdom, his righteousness, then you can expect him to deliver on the everything else. We miss it because we don't seek his righteousness. We seek him for the everything else, but we have to do it as God does. It. He's a God of order. He's not really healing. Right? Amen. Amen. Acts 17, 28 says this. For in him we move, we live and move and have our 
aren't being. Prince theologian John Calvin said, nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to, to say, true and sound wisdom, wisdom consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. But you can't really know yourself unless you really know God. Because we were created in his image and his likeness. So if you want to really know yourself, you have to have a relationship with God so that you can know him then you'll be able to know yourself. You can't really know yourself outside of God. You can guess at it. You can theorize it. But you can't know yourself until you know him. That's good. I say this. I would much rather know God so that I can know myself than to know myself and not know God. Because if you know yourself without knowing God, you'll color yourself outside of the lines, and then God cannot direct you and get you everything you're asking for. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and here's what? Righteousness. And everything else will be added. Amen? Amen. And the way you get to know God and his will is through his word, because his will is his word. So let's go a little bit deeper, okay? Now, believe it or not, there are some people and sometimes we, as believers, have a tough time believing God's existence. Right. Let me put it where you can get it. Yes, sir. The reason why we doubt it is because when we go through, or when we are going through, it's easy to sit doubt if God is even there. Why? Because you can't feel him. Because of the pain or the circumstance that you are going through. So Satan creeps in and says, well, if God said, but if you were really a child of God, if he really loved you deep, wouldn't allow dust and soul to happen to you. But I'm going to say this. Because God loves us deep, he can trust us with dust and soul just like he did with Job. But I'm going to give you some arguments for his existence, okay? There's an argument from reason, okay? Uh, and the first argument from reason is cause and effect. In other words, things are explained externally, or eternally. Nothing emerged from nothing. They emerged from nothing, and they were caused. Let's look at them in order. First, it's likely that the universe has existed, has not existed eternally, because all the evidence to a universe, to the universe, is that it is running down. In other words, the universe did not exist, does not exist from an eternal standpoint because scientifically everything is running down. Mm -hmm. Climate change is okay. Yeah. The sun, the stars, they, according to the scientists, it's been proven that those things are not illuminating as they once were because the end is coming. Why did God say that at the end, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Right. 
He wouldn't have the, he wouldn't have the need to create something new if what he already created was created for eternity. Right? Amen. The book tells us that he's going to create what? A new heaven and a new earth. Because this one is corrupt. And it's dying. So the universe as we know it is not an eternal universe because God is going to create something new. And he wouldn't have no need if he already had created. Why? Because God does not do the same thing twice. Hmm. The second is the matter and the second is that matter and motion existed from nothing is a contradiction. Because from nothing, nothing comes. As the late, great Billy Preston said, nothing from nothing leaves nothing. <laughs> Third, the most reasonable explanation is that matter and motion were created at some point in time. And the Bible tells us clearly in Genesis 1 and 1, in the beginning God created the what? Amen. Amen. So then, that's the argument from argument from reason. There's the argument from nature. Almost everything, if not everything, has a designed purpose. Even this winter that we don't like has a purpose attached to it. Right? The universe, even though it's burning down or ending displays God's glory, if you will. How? The stars, the grass, the trees that tax the grass down. The wind, when, the, when it blows, blows the trees. Amen? Psalm 94, verses 9 through 10 says, He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He who instructs the nations, shall he not correct he shall not he not correct he who teaches knowledge. All things seem to be a part of the balance of nature. Mm -hmm. Why do you say that? The earth is tilted on its axis mm -hmm. in relation to the sun and thereby provides the seasons and the best distribution of light and heat during the year. If the earth was any closer, we burn up. Right. If it was any farther, we would freeze. The earth did not just from nothing, it popped out because God spoke it. In the beginning, God did what? He created. Hallelujah. <laughs> the chemical composition of the atmosphere is at an ideal balance for animal and vegetable life. The racial ratio of land and water on the earth's surface gives proper rainfall and humidity. Wind and sea currents provide air conditioning and warm coastlines. And for the ears, blessings like musical sound for the ears and the beauty of color for the eye is designed not just to be there because they speak of a creator who created those things so that we can enjoy them with our ears and with our eyes. There is no greater artist than God. If you want to see it, just watch the sun down, sun down sometime. 
And then if you want to see it again, get up early enough to watch the sunrise. And if you stay up late enough and the sky is clear, so look at all the stars. This stuff didn't happen by accident. It was created by a what? Creator. So how can reasonably intelligent beings believe that an impersonal force or process brought this marvelous universe into being? The Bible says this in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the water. Then God said. <laughs> and when God said, time began. And when God said, this universe as we know it began. Amen. Because it came from the voice of God. Then the argument is from history. It rests on the foundation of the divine providence. If you study the Bible and history together, and you do it with, without a bias, and without some preconceived notion, you will see that history does support the Bible, not the other way around. Because the more they try to bury the Bible, the more things get ripped, rise out of the Bible. The more they try to hide it under a bushel, the more things cooperate and co corroborate that Jesus is Lord and that he is coming back from Genesis to Revelation as the Bible declared and decreed that Jesus is God's son and that he's coming back again. History is showing us. How do you know? Wars and rumors of war. Mothers against daughters, fathers against sons, nations against nations. Right now, prophecy is being lived out right before our very eyes as the Bible said it would. We just had a preconceived notion of what it would look like. Hallelujah. But as the Bible says in Genesis, like I just read, God's spirit is hovering over the earth. Over the chaos. Over the darkness. Over the void. And he's getting ready to spring into action. How is he going to do that? Jesus is going to break, break open that eastern sky. That's right. Hallelujah. And those who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air to meet him. Amen. Hallelujah. I hallelujah. Those who are alive and well, alive and remain, will meet him where? In the air. How fast? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Hallelujah. He is closer to coming today than he was yesterday. And if he carries tomorrow, he'll be closer then. Hallelujah. Hmm. Amen. There is a divinity, a, a divine providence that history supports. Huh. Despite what you are seeing in the news, the Bible says in Psalm 121, verse 4, Behold who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Who's in the news about Israel. And the God who keeps Israel he neither slumbers nor he sleeps. Jehovah God is the keeper of Israel. Mm 
No form of unconsciousness ever steals over him. Neither the deeper slumber, neither the slightest sleep. He never fails to watch the house and the heart of his people. So let me put it where that's Israel. He's watching over them. However, since we have been grafted in mm -hmm. because of the rebellion of Israel, rejecting him and rejecting Jesus and going after false gods, God provided a way for us to be grafted in. And because he expanded his kingdom to include us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That means El Elyon, the most high. El Olam, the everlasting God. El Shaddai, the mighty God. Adonai, the Lord, master, and ruler, loves you so much that he refuses to live without you. God loves you deep. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Let that settle in. If he didn't love you, or love us, he wouldn't have provided a way for us to be grafted in as his sons and daughters. Heirs and joint heirs with Christ. We wouldn't have this inheritance if it had not been for God's great deep love for us. Well, his love is, is incomprehensible. Let me say that. So let's dig a little bit and then I'll be through. His love is incomprehensible. I mean, it's hard to understand. Let's go to Ephesians. Somebody said it was right there? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look at verse number 14. This is the Apostle Paul. He's praying. He said this. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. How many needs that? <laughs> to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the what? Inner man. Yes. That, not, that Christ may dwell in your hearts while by faith. That ye being rooted and grounded where? In love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth or how wide is his love and how and length how long is his love and the depth how high is his love and height how deep is his love amen and verse 19 says and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the what fullness of God. So though you can read about his love in the word, you can't fully understand it. It is beyond our comprehension because God's love is perfect, complete, satisfying, and faithful. There is absolutely, I don't care how much they love you, no human love that can come close to God's love for you. Paul wanted them and wants us to have increased comprehension and increased understanding of God's love but they can't.
But you can't under, you can't comprehend it unless you comprehend it with all saints. Your individual experience of God are limited. You need to be part of the family of God and learn how God works in the lives of others to see how truly great he is. God does not pour out his love on us individually just for us. He pours out his love on us as a collective so that we can show the world God's love. God's love is not just for us and just for me or you. It's for us to show the world how to really love. God did not send Jesus to die for you to save you to be a lone ranger. That's why it's important that you come to church. Paul wanted them and us to know the depths of the love of God through Jesus as love that surpasses knowledge. That means he wants them and us to know something that's beyond our comprehension but within our grasp. But we'll talk about this a little bit later. Even though you might have been a believer all your life, and even when you enter eternity and have been there for one quadrillion years, you, have, you will have just been introduced to me. Those will be your introductory years because you will just scratch the surface because the God of the Bible is inexhaustible. In fact, the Psalms tell us that his unfailing love endures forever. So no matter how, you, how, how long you live in time or when you enter eternity, you will just scratch the surface of God's love. Think about that. Time is short. Eternity is a long time, but there is no end to knowing God and his deep love for us. His love is incomprehensible. And something we always hear is that his love is unconditional. Right? Let's go to 1 John quickly. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. First time. He says, and we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love. Not going to be. Not about to be. Not thin to be. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God. And God in him. Whoever thing lives in love or lives in God. Yeah. And, 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 and God lives in him. Hallelujah. As human beings, we love others most often conditionally. Mm. We are drawn to some people more than others. And as a result, we love the ones we feel connected with. God, however, loves each one of us unconditionally. The Greek word for love in John 3.16 is agapo. Agapo. A-G-A-P-A-O. Not agape. But agapo. No, it's agapo. I looked it up. I listened to it. Amen. Because I always get the pronunciations. Amen. Agapo. 
which means unconditional love, is love by choice and by an act of the will. The word denotes unconquerable benevolence and undefeatable goodwill. God loves all people with profound, with all people with un profound unconditional love, regardless of their personal baggage and past behaviors. However, God does not save people unconditionally. Why do you say that? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 that you must confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you will be saved. That's condition. He loves you unconditionally, but he can't save you unconditionally. He can only save you from your confession and your belief. Hmm. His love is unconditional according to his grace and mercy, but it's also conditional in his holiness. Why the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 1 and 16, be holy for I am holy. That phrase means to be set apart for God's purposes and live according to his standard. In other words, you can't live any kind of way and do what you want to do the way you want to do it and expect God to use you according to his purposes. See, we get it all twisted. We try to bring God down to our level. When God is telling us we need to raise the standard. While we living on this earth. He says, be holy for I. Meaning to be set apart. To be ready, willing, and able to be used for his purposes. But he can't use you. If you are not in the right position. <laughs> Holiness is not the length of your dress or whether you wear earrings or wear pants or not. Holiness is a dedicated, disciplined lifestyle. Living your life unto him and for his glory. That's holiness. It's not about makeup. Not about a robe or a hat. It is about living your life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, allowing him to be the God of your life, the head of your life, leading you by the Spirit of God. That is holiness. Jesus gave us a perfect example. And I'm going to paraphrase everything I do. I do still my body. Right? That's what he did. That's what Jesus did when he was the God man on earth. Everything he did, he pointed to God. He never pointed to himself and what he had on. But the good news is this. He loves us so much that even when we mess up over and over again, he keeps loving us because we have been accepted by grace and not behavior. Hallelujah. <laughs> God's love for you never changes because it's not based on how you act it's based on his grace his unmerited favor 
Hallelujah. Thank God it's not based on my behavior. <laughs> I'm just going to talk about, I can't talk about y'all. I'm talking about my behavior. Thank God I am saved by faith on grace, right? <laughs> That's why grace is so amazing. And not based on my behavior. Because if it was based on my behavior, I would not be able to receive his grace. But because his grace is separate from my behavior, and he don't base my faith on my behavior, but on his grace, yes, yes. we are saved. Hallelujah. Amazing grace. What? How sweet the sound. That saved what? A wretch like me. I once was what? Lost. But now I'm fine. Was blind, but now I didn't have to find Jesus. He was there. He found me. I didn't find him. Now I go after God. <laughs> I chase after him. <laughs> As the song said last week, no matter what I have to do. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I'm chasing after you. Amen. Anyway, God's love never changes because his love is deep. But the best one thing about God's love is not only is it incompre incomprehensible and it's unconditional, his love can be experienced. Yeah. Right. Hallelujah. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 3. It can be experienced. Mm -hmm. See, I don't, I don't come to church just to experience God. I come to have an encounter with him. Yes, I experience his love, but I encounter his spirit. Hmm. Amen. Verse 17 says, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that you being rooted and grounded in what? Love. Never ending. Never failing. Unending love. May be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, and the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with the fullness of God. Though God's love is beyond our understanding, God still desires that you feel and experience the depths of his love. As I mentioned earlier, Paul wanted them and us to know something beyond comprehension but within our grasp. The word grasp in Greek carries more than just the idea of head knowledge. We don't just operate and try to grasp the fullness of God's love just using this. Because this is limited. This, which is where our soul resides, is limited. But when we try to grasp God with this, which is our spirit, it's eternal and it's the one that can connect with God. So when we leave this earth, our body may remain but our soul and our spirit, more so our spirit, goes on to be with him. But then at an appointed time, no matter where we be, or no matter if we're in the deepest ocean, the Bible says, or if we're in the elements of, 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 of cremation, however God pulls us back together, God is going to put us back together. 
And you only need a little bit. You don't need all of them. Because <laughs> that part would be corrupt anyway. Because he said, we're going to get new bodies. I don't know about y'all, but I'm ready for a new one. <laughs> I don't want this old one to go here, that's for certain. <laughs> I want that young bureau one to go. <laughs> that one that can fall and never be hurt and get back up with a scratch and go on and keep playing. Amen. I'm talking about that one that don't have a backache. <laughs> I'm talking about that one that don't get stiff. I'm talking about that one that don't have to kickstart in the morning. I want a body like that, that will never grow old, that will never get tired, that will never get hungry. I'm talking about that body. Hallelujah. That body will be able to grasp God's love. Because it's deeper than head knowledge. Our finite knowledge can't grasp an infinite God. Hallelujah. What Paul is praying about is that you as a believer, even before we get those new bodies, can experience the feeling and resting in God's love. The problem is, we don't know how to rest in it. How do we rest in it? I'll tell you. You begin thanking and praising him by faith that you are deeply in love. When, you feel, when you're not feeling God's love, this is what you do. You begin thanking and praising him by faith that you are deeply loved. Say, I am loved. I am loved. No, say, it, I am loved. I am loved. I, I don't care if I don't feel it. But I am loved. I am loved. But I am loved. And Lord, I thank you. Hallelujah. Thank him every morning when you wake and every evening when you lay down to sleep. Thank him every morning and every evening. Hallelujah. All that is saying is we need to talk to God more than talking to our issue. We all talk our issue then we talk to God. Hallelujah. Another way to experience and feel his love is you need to memorize a few key verses about his love. That's why I forgot the little girl that he gave some kind of son. Resonance. But I got a few others. The Lord is my shepherd and myself. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Amen. But my God shall supply all my needs according to the mission of the Lord by Christ Jesus. Amen. And if I really get bad, I'll say in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the way. That's the key. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> if you really want to get the devil off, well, you say, in the beginning, God created. Right. And that will shut him up. Mm. Why? Because God, you created him. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. And you, you need to remind yourself often through your day that you are deeply and categorically loved by God. If you, thank him, if you thank him and praise him by faith that you are deeply loved and you thank him every morning and every evening and if you memorize a few key verses about his love and you remind yourself often through your day 
that you are deeply and temporarily in love gradually. As you praise and thank God for his love, you'll start to feel loved by God. Amen. Because honestly, there is no one who loves you more. Amen. That's why the Bible says, call unto me. Mm -hmm. And I will show you great and mighty. We gotta learn how to call out to God. To experience his deep love for us. Hallelujah. Because God, your heavenly father, he loves you deep. His love is deep. And that great prognosticator that said this, not just me deep, his love is totally deep. <laughs> Some people know about it. <laughs> George Clinton. <laughs> God's love is not just needy. His love is totally deep. And his love is rooted in himself. Why? Because he is love. That's why he had to send himself to die on behalf of our sin. Jesus. The second person in the Trinity. And now that Jesus is going back, he sent us the Holy Spirit. And that we can ask for the baptism of it to the other spirits so that we can be empowered to walk this walk. Amen? Say, God loves me. God loves me. Say, God loves me. God loves you. Deep. Deep. Point to your neighbor if you got one. Say, God loves you. God loves you. Deep. Whether you know it or not. Whether you believe it or not. God loves you deep. God loves you deep. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Let's thank God. For his deep love. Let's thank God for his deep love. On this Christmas Eve. 